There you go. Headed downstairs, guys. Thank you. And we'll give our attention to God's word here. Pastor Tim and his family are uh, down south with his mom and Hannah. So they're seeing their oldest, Hannah, on her Thanksgiving break. I think they saw her maybe yesterday. I could be wrong, maybe Friday. But they're really excited to see her. And then his mom turns 70 over this next week. So they're trying this big surprise birthday party for her. You try throwing a surprise birthday party for someone turning a big memento. See if that works. We'll see if it's a true surprise or not. But they're glad to get down there. And, um, and I'm glad to continue walking us through different passages where we're looking at Christ, looking at the Son of God before his incarnation, and appreciating how when our lives match the other people's lives, our Lord is speaking to us just the same way. And so we'll be looking in Judges chapter 6. You see the verses there on the worship guide in front of you. Um, and so we'll read these verses together. We'll pray, and then we'll settle in here for right now. Um, we'll want to keep praying for our elected officials. Uh, we'll pray for our mayor-elect, mayor-elect Eric Adams, that God gives him wisdom and a fear of God and peace. And these things that we pray for all of our elected officials, whether they're in office or they're coming into office, that God gives him wisdom. Pray for our missionaries of the week. We'll continue to pray. I'm um, thinking of Dr. Mike Privet and his work with pastors in Eastern Asia. And he goes and travels and just spends time pouring into these men and teaching in their seminaries and, and helping encouraging these men as they often are pastoring several churches by one person just because of the spacing and what it looks like. And so we'll pray for uh, Dr. Privet and his efforts. Uh, someone from his team is traveling, I think, for the months of November and December all over India and just ministering every day to a new set of pastors. So we'll pray that God gives this brother uh, extra strength with all the things he's trying to do, spreading the gospel there and encouraging God's people around the world. And we'll pray for the Richmonds to be safe. Many of us may have travel plans this week. Pray that you can survive until Thanksgiving. And then pray that we survive Thanksgiving. Uh, family issues or just too much to eat, whatever the challenge it may be for the day. And uh, we'll, we'll ask for God's help as we're coming and we're eating spiritually from him too. So let's read these verses and then we'll pray and we'll settle in here. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to, this is Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength, maybe tongue-in-cheek, I'm not sure, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man, as if it's just one-on-one. -on -one. So Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. That's a cliffhanger. What? We're going to pray now? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so, yes. Let's pray. Let's turn our, our attention to the Lord, of the, the presence of our God and his word here. Lord, it's been good for us to pr sing together and to sing to you. You are truly faithful to us, your people. Your word is stable and strong and secure. And so we are glad to remind ourselves of these uh, stabilizing truths. You are a faithful God. 
And maybe we're coming in feeling like this Gideon complaint, you've abandoned us. Everything is terrible. I can't do anything. Oh, Lord, thank you that you intervene and that you are stable and you are keeping your covenant to your people. We praise you for giving us a beautiful day and a chance to worship together here. We think of those who are traveling um, later this week or have already traveled, like the Richmond family. We thank you for safety you gave them. And they can worship you on your day, even where they are. We pray that you will bless them and, and give them good rest, a meaningful and a memorable vacation time together. We pray that you will bless those who are worshiping with us online as well, that you would speak to them where they are because you are there also. We think of our elected officials. We pray for Mayor-elect Eric Adams. We ask that you would give him wisdom, give him a fear of you, help him to discern what policies and what stands to take that will allow for peaceful conditions so that your word will continue to spread. We pray that if he is not a believer, that he will come to understand that Jesus Christ is his only hope. We pray that he will realize that even becoming mayor will not bring salvation. He needs you. And so we pray that you will point him to yourself and that you will then use him mightily in your hands. We think of our brother uh, from this uh, Vision Asia 2020 mission, this brother who's traveling throughout India this month and next month. He has a very full itinerary. And his burden, Lord, is to share the gospel and also to encourage pastors and their ministries. We pray that you will bless our brother with great strength. We pray for Dr. Privet, who is leading the mission, that you would give him wisdom as well here in the States, that you will provide for their needs financially, many, many travel expenses. Most of all, we pray that your word would increase and be glorified, as Brother Mookie reminded us about. We want you to be the hero of the day. We want you to get all the glory, all the attention. And so we ask that you would help these brothers and this ministry where it is. And Lord, we're here to listen to you now. We want to hear from you. We've just sung a prayer to you asking you to speak to us. And that is what we need desperately. We need your work in our hearts. We thank you for your spirit who is right now indwelling every believer. And so, Spirit of God, we pray that you would encourage us forward, strengthen us, give us a, a heart to learn and, and to change. Bring comfort to us where we need it. Bring confrontation to us where we need it. Lord, we're your people. We want to hear from you. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've had the unfortunate situation where, well, first of all, we're walking through this series that Pastor Tim started us, looking at Christ and, and how he shows up and how he ministers to his people in the Old Testament. These different passages where the angel of the Lord is a unique individual. We'll give more attention to him in a moment. But as we're doing that, we're focusing now on the book of Judges. And when I think of the book of Judges, I don't think happy thoughts. You know, if you want to read a, a book this week, ah, Thanksgiving, I want to be encouraged by the Lord. You're not going to pick Judges, usually. Maybe Ephesians, maybe Romans, maybe one of the Gospels, right? Or God's actively working in the hearts of his people. But Judges is kind of like walking in the dark. And you, and you just don't, ah, I don't like this at all. And maybe you've had this happen. You get up in the middle of the night, either nature's calling or your children are calling, and you've got to move, but... There's no light on, and so inevitably we're kind of wandering around, and we stub our toe. Oh, I don't like that. That furniture wasn't supposed to be there. And we keep moving forward, and I can't see really well. That's frustrating, right? We don't, we're not fans of dark rooms. Um, I was going to tell a story about one of my kids, but I will not. 
I'll just say we are not fans of dark rooms. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but in one sense, we don't like dark rooms. We maybe can't see what's in front of us. We don't know where to walk. We don't know what, in my case, what evil Legos are hiding on the floor just waiting for me to step on them, right? So I need to see where I'm going, and I need to see what to avoid. There are dangers to avoid, and there's a way to go. Dark rooms are one thing, but dark lives are another. And often we find, especially in our society today, it's not just a dark room, it's living a dark life. People who may not have direction, we can't predict the future, we don't know what's coming up next. And so I'm kind of fumbling around, hoping I'm walking in the right direction. I think this is the way to go, but we don't know for sure. No human can predict or definitely can't control the future as much as we think we can and we try. But usually whenever you try to control things too much, we end up making it worse, right? And so we're just kind of, I think this is the way I should go on an individual level as a society, I'm pretty sure. And then also we can start running into things, right? We need protection from invisible dangers. And as we're thinking about the idea of God appearing to people, an angel appearing to people, we'll just remind ourselves here really briefly that there are invisible realities around us. God is real. He's invisible and yet he's here. Our God is right here speaking to us. And since our world is so much about the here and now, we can forget there are invisible dangers we need to be guarded against. We don't want to live a dark life. And I think of this especially when it comes to the book of Judges because there's so much here. I'm going to give a preview of where we're headed this morning, we're going to, or this afternoon. We're going to have, we're compare this, this sermon to a 10K. So the first point will just be stretching out, warming up, get your muscles ready, work out the brain a little bit, and then we'll jog a 10K through a few accounts in Judges where the angel of the Lord shows up. Afterwards, we'll have a cool down, we'll rehydrate, and we'll reset and we'll try to walk away from these accounts and judges and really have clear lessons and applications and see where our lives match the lives of the people here in the book of Judges. So we'll do a little bit of a warm-up here. We'll have a few just reminding comments about uh, where we are. What is the goal of, our, of this series? It's to prepare us for Christ. And we know we're after Thanksgiving, the next major holiday is Christmas. And you've probably already seen some of the Christmas decorations, Christmas ads. Um, someone recently told me they already put up their Christmas decorations in their house. Before Thanksgiving, I think that's a sin, but I'm not sure. Well, maybe not, no. That, that is fun, right? Why not? We're looking ahead to Christmas. It's festive. And in one sense, we want to kind of join the people of God as they're looking ahead to their Messiah. So it's good timing in this time of year for us because we want to look ahead to this Advent season, the Christmas season, and help us remind ourselves Jesus is the best gift. His work for us, his becoming human, is, is the most amazing miracle of all. Um, We want to remind ourselves that that there are these invisible realities. And so I want to be looking for Christ. I want to expect God to be working in my life. So let's spend time thinking about other accounts where God worked in other people's lives, sometimes in miraculous ways. And ultimately, we want to point point ourselves to Jesus Christ. And he has this to say to the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that you find life in the scriptures by themselves. But actually, it is these that testify about me. He's he's talking to these Pharisees, their scriptures in the Old Testament. The, the, The whole section of the Jewish scriptures is pointing and testifying to Jesus Christ when he would come. And he warns them, you are unwilling to come to me. But if you did, you would have life. Jesus Christ brings life. 
Nothing else can satisfy us. Nothing else can give us direction or protection except Jesus Christ. And so it's good for us to remind ourselves that we want to point to Christ. What is interesting, though, as we're thinking about the Old Testament, this idea of, of, of Pastor Tim's used this phrase, Christophanes, it's the idea of Christ appearing. There are times in the Old Testament where we meet specifically someone called the angel of the Lord. And as you read through the passage, we start to scratch our heads like, who is this person? Angel, yes, called man of God in some places, but clearly more than that. And so we'll sort through some of those ideas, and I'm just going to call this the mysterious glories of Christophanes. And I warn you, this would be like a mental workout here. We're stretching our muscles a little bit before we start to run. Um, in, in, there are a lot of places in, when God reveals himself to us in Scripture that there are things that don't seem to match. How can God be in control of everything and then people are responsible to choose what they need to do, right? And we'll look at a few examples of this in terms of these Old Testament appearances of the angel of the Lord. And we'll be like, wait a minute, that, he says this, but then he says this. And how does it work? And I want to be careful not to disregard anything. I want to embrace all of Scripture, even if it seems to go opposite of itself. But when I do, this is often what Paul describes as these mysteries, these, these truths that are maybe too big for my brain to understand or appreciate. So I'll suggest a few of these here at the beginning. First of all, God, there are many places where God says, I'm invisible, I cannot be seen. And then God appears to people at the same time. A few references here, just to remind us, John 1.18, the Gospel of John is so helpful to help us understand who Jesus is and what his purpose for coming to earth is. But John just makes a simple point. No one has seen God at any time. But then he says, the only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, referring to the Son, he has explained, he has revealed him to us. And so in one sense, no one can see God, but in another sense, John reminds us, this is what the Son has done. Becoming Jesus, being born, now when I want to see what God looks like, how does God act? I'm going to look at Jesus as the flesh and bone appearance of God. But I can't see God, right? Another account, 1 Timothy 6, Paul is describing God who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or even can see. Once it's impossible. John 4, 24, Jesus tells us God is spirit. And so there are, in one sense, I can't see God. And in another sense, if I tried to, I'm in trouble, right? Think of the account of Moses. And you're going to see two verses here at the, that bottom verse. God tells Moses, listen, Moses, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. We cannot look at God. It'd be safer to look at the sun than to look at God because of all his glory. And in my human mind, I have questions. Why can't I look at God? What if I put sunglasses on? What about God is so overwhelming to me? And there's no clear answer to my mind about this, but this is true. What's really interesting, the same chapter, we're told that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, is that just a figurative expression? Possibly. But the idea is, in the same chapter, he says, you can't see my face, but I'll speak to you. How cool is that? And so we have this idea that God can't be seen, and yet he does appear to Old Testament believers. Other, many, many other passages we could point to. Um, I'll just mention a few in, in Genesis 17. The Lord appears to Abraham. Frankly, frequently in Genesis, God appears to people. We already read Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. He speaks to Moses. In fact, in one account in Genesis, he wrestles with Jacob, and Jacob realizes, who is this person I'm wrestling with? When he goes to visit Abram, Abram gives him food. And, and they have a meal together. God eats. 
What? And so we have questions, right? Again, I'm calling these mysterious glories. These are, these are two truths that are both true and that how does that work together? Another idea, the angel of the Lord is distinct from God and yet sometimes he presents himself as God. How can the angel of the Lord be distinct from God but then also presents himself as God? Just mention a few references here. Pastor Tim pointed us to Genesis 22 when Abraham offers his son. Isaac, following God's direction, the angel says, Abram, you offered your son to me. Hmm. Or I mentioned already, God wrestles with Jacob. And later at the end of his life, Jacob recognizes God's angel who has walked with him and led him all along the way of his life. I especially appreciate Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, because the beginning of that passage of the burning bush, um, we're told that the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses from the bush. But the whole time, it's a conversation between God and Moses. And he tells Moses, take your shoes off. Why? Because you're on holy ground. This is the presence of God. Later in Joshua 5, the captain of the Lord's armies comes to Joshua and tells him the exact same thing. Take off your shoes, Joshua, because you're on holy ground. Who is this person that Joshua spoke to? Who was this angel in Exodus 3 that spoke to Moses? And again, we're not saying definitively exactly what it looks like, but it's just one idea. This angel of the Lord is distinct from God. Another example is the end of uh, 2 Samuel when David has sinned and, and demanded a census be taken. God sends his angel to punish. And there are parts of that account where God tells the angel to stop and don't punish anymore. But there are other accounts where it looks like the angel is acting as God. Last idea I'll just suggest here as we're stretching our brains a little bit is that God the Son appears as embodied God in the Old Testament and, and yet he's not born yet. Because later on when he's born as a human, you name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So is God the Son alive even now before he is born? Absolutely. There are a lot of accounts in the Gospels that connect Jesus with God in the Old Testament. These are just a few of them. Pastor Tim will give attention to a few more later on. But Isaiah chapter 40, there's this messenger who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Matthew chapter 3, we're told that John the Baptist is here to prepare the way of well, Jesus. But because it's connected to the passage, is Jesus the Lord? Isaiah chapter 8 and 1 Peter 3 are the same quote, the same idea. You're sanctifying God. I'm, I'm saying God is the most holy one. He's the one that I'm going to fear and take the most seriously. But Peter says, I'm, I'm, I'm treating Jesus Christ the same way as the Old Testament Jehovah or Yahweh. And then Hebrews chapter 1 is a really interesting chapter because several times they quote the Old Testament to prove that the Son is better than angels. And in a couple of them, he's told these angels or these, these other people in the spirit realm, Psalm 97, to worship him. To worship God, but also Jesus. And then we're told in Psalm 102 that God has laid the foundation of the world. But Hebrews 1, we're told Jesus is the person who fulfills that prophecy. He's the one doing that. And so there are times where Jesus is connected with God of the Old Testament. The verse that, I, that most helps me make sense of these things is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There are other passages which say the same idea, but here Jesus is uh, described as the radiance of the glory of God. He makes God's glory visible and the exact representation of his nature. What would God look like if he treated everybody properly? Well, I'm going to look at Jesus and the way he acts. 
And there are accounts frequently where, where our Lord is walking and he's acting in such a way that he's human, but the way he is acting and presenting himself, he accepts worship. Um, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament accepts worship. He accepts sacrifices in several occasions, a couple here in Judges that we'll look at in a moment. And so we're just finishing to look at these ideas. These are mysterious glories, brothers and sisters. There are parts of God that we won't fully understand, but we want to accept. And so the big idea is this. When we need help, who shows up? God the Son. God the Father is the Spirit who is reigning over all, but in the Trinity, God the Son is, is the one who shows up in person, the visible one who, who ministers to us, and the Spirit is working actively inside of us in the Old Testament, even now especially, but working and indwelling us. And I love this idea that, that God is not just a distant God. Uh, there are other religions that think of God as this like really far off and aloof God. Our God is very much far off and above all of us, but he's also very personal and he's very one-on-one, -on -one, and we'll see this here in the, in the book of Judges. And so we're stretching our brains a little bit. We're considering these fascinating ideas. The last thing I'll just suggest is the setting of Judges. I mentioned earlier, Judges is interesting. It's not a very happy book. We're one generation removed from Moses and Joshua, and if you were to go to the end of the book of Judges, you would read a verse which is not very encouraging at all. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So what's the setting of the book of Judges? Well, not too good. There's no clear authority structure, no government that's stable, that fears God. And because that, everybody's free to do whatever they want. What really, really sobers me They've just received the Ten Commandments one generation earlier from Moses. Very few references to the law of God in this entire book. It's like one generation's gone and the next one doesn't fear God, doesn't take his law seriously. They're just living however they feel like. And when that happens, of course, they're going to be susceptible to all kinds of things. So on a broad scale, it's not very appealing. No one wants to grow up and move to Judges. Uh, as a lawless society, at the end of the book of Judges, there are two horrible scandals um, I don't know if I've ever heard a public sermon about these accounts because they're so horrific. But both of them are describing people who are supposed to be Levite religious leaders and they're connected to Bethlehem and they're not doing their job at all. On an individual level, there's no one person who is really a truly noble character. Deborah may be the closest one, but even then she has to hold Barak's hand to help him do his job. And so the story is not a very positive one. And so we're, we're looking at judges who are very human and fail all the time. Now, when we describe judges, did that rhyme with what we experience now? Not as much attention given to God's word or God's law. People are free to do whatever they want. There's structure, but eh, it's more like whatever I want to do. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong and make me stop. And many, many people around us, but very few who are honorable and good examples to us. Very few leader, leaders, and we would just say because of sinfulness, no leaders are the good, perfect leaders. Judges, everyone ends up corrupted. Every leader, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, no one stays honorable to the end, especially as you go on further and further into the book of Judges. And so I appreciate this, that in a setting where it's very dark, it's very dark in Judges, no attention given to God's law, no godly leaders, then we see God show up a lot. And God intervenes because, you mentioned a moment ago, when we need help, God the Son shows up. 
And he's going to help his people and challenge his people in different ways. So, are you ready to run the 10K? We stretched our brains a little bit. We're going to kind of jog through four different accounts. Four? Pastor Andrew, did you see the time? I know, four. We'll jog, but we'll get the big idea of these, and I think it'll be clear to us as we go on. Judges 2 is the first one. What is God doing here? We read about the angel of the Lord, but he's speaking as more than just an angel. Judges chapter 2, he's confronting his people because of their actions. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, notice everything that he has done for them. I brought you up out of Egypt. I led you into the land which I swore to your fathers. Think back to the stories in Genesis. God made all these promises to the patriarchs. This land is yours. And now he's bringing the children of Israel out into this land. And then the angel says, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. What an amazing reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Remember all these things I've done? I'm not going to break my promises, Israel. And now I have an expectation of you. Verse 2, as for you, here's what you need to do. Make no covenant with the other inhabitants of the land. These people aren't going to follow God. Don't get along with them and partner with them and, and let them influence you. In fact, you need to tear down their altars. The idea of altars and worship shows up often in these accounts and judges. So he confronts them. Does that work? Are they, are they learning? Eh, well, he continues, you've not obeyed me. You've not listened to my voice. And he asks this question, which often shows up, especially in the Old Testament, what have you done? What have you done? And because of this, the angel God declares, because of that, the Canaanites won't leave. I'm going to let them stay. They're going to become thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. You've not obeyed me. There will be some the punishment coming. He confronts his people because they are not loyal to the covenant that he had given to them. Kind of a serious beginner. Welcome to Judges. <laughs> God confronts his people for not being close to him. He says, listen, I'm faithful to you, and I'm waiting, and, and I'm not seeing the results. He challenges them about this. The people respond later in the passage by weeping and offering a sacrifice to God. But over time, it becomes obvious, mm, this isn't a heart-changing repentance. This is, people are just saying, I feel bad. Please let me not feel bad anymore. Okay, good. And then over time, they go back, and, and there's the pattern we see again and again in Judges, right? Well, later on, he has another quick reference here. This is in Judges chapter 5. This is after Deborah and Barak have fought a battle. God blessed them. He enabled them to defeat this, this Canaanite enemy. Miraculous battle victory. It's, it's mixed, though, because Barak really doesn't lead with confidence. He tells Deborah, I can't do it. I, can you come with me? Uh, and he needs extra moral support. She's great in helping him in that way and doing that. And, but at the end, he doesn't get the honor. Instead, you see that this verse 24. Instead, another lady, Jael, is the one who has the honor of killing the, the other general, Sisera. Well, in their song of praise, Deborah mentions this. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Utterly curse its inhabitants because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the warriors. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. And so we have an account, and you can go a few verses earlier to notice. Some people fought, but not everybody fought. Some tribes said, nah, that's your battle. That's too far away. I'm not going to bother. Yeah, we're on the same team, and, and God wants us to help. But nah, that's too hard. I'm, I like my life. I'm good. 
And in fact, Miraz, some people think maybe this is a city like very close to the battle site. And maybe it's Barak's own hometown or his background. And so eh, this is too much. They did not come to the help. They did not stand up against God's enemies. So they're cursed. They didn't join the battle. And because they are cursed instead, another lady is blessed. The lady who actually fulfilled God's calling at that point in life. So we'll just summarize it in these two ways. There's a happy picture of Deborah and Barak. All right. Um, we'll just say this way. God confronts his people because they need to maintain his covenant. They need to be close to God and not switching gods or giving more attention to something else and not God. And his people must support his cause. He calls them out because they're, they're not really following him. They're not committed to the battle and what God is doing in the world at that time in their country. And we could maybe start seeing some parallels with ourselves perhaps. You know, that God has saved us. We can celebrate what God has done in changing our hearts and giving us eternal life and, and, and allowing us to join his family. But there are other things to think about, right? What are the headlines? What are my deadlines? I got to keep up with all these things. Um, what's the box score? What's the latest highlights to, to think about? And for me, that's where God keeps convicting me. Bro, that's too much time given to this pursue me with your whole heart and all the time and maybe we just enjoy the box office what what's the next cool movie or show coming out that i can enjoy and if we're not careful we could say yes i worship god but in reality we give our attention to so many other things perhaps god would call us out what have you done <laughs> you're not worshiping me or perhaps we're not supporting his cause someone else can help i like where i am i like an unbothered life thank you very much don't inconvenience me god please to talk to that person would really be uncomfortable. And maybe someone else will. And maybe God will use someone else and they will get all the honor. When he's like, what? You're right there. This is your calling. Fulfill it. And so perhaps God would challenge and confront his people then and now at the same time. We'll keep going, though, with another set of passages. We're going to focus on a different idea. There are times where God reassures his people. He'll start speaking to judges or beginning of judges' stories. The angel of the Lord comes to begin a conversation and to prepare them for action. But often they're hesitant. They're cowardly, right? Think of the account of Gideon here. I'm looking at Judges chapter 6. Gideon, we already read that earlier at the beginning of the sermon. But when, when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, there's this back and forth. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak as Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press which is the opposite because you need a high elevated space to get all the, the wheat cleared out and floating away. You want the, the, the extra stuff to float away and the meaningful edible grains to fall back to the ground. You're not supposed to do it in a wine press, which is like a cellar, an outdoor cellar. That's the opposite, right? Not only that, though, but as the Lord speaks with Gideon, you, you remember we read this a moment ago, Gideon keeps kind of not making excuses, but he's just not very confident. He's told in verse 12, the Lord is with you. But he says, if God is with us, then what about all these things that have happened? Where is he? I heard all these amazing, where is God? And he looks around and he doesn't reference uh, the law of God that he could have right there, the tabernacle of God or the sacrifices God instituted. Just, come on, he's not showing up where I want him. Come on, divine butler, do what I want. Where are you? And the angel reassures him, listen, I have sent you, it's fine. 
But then he makes the other excuse, but my family, we're so small and I'm the youngest. You picked the wrong person. No, not me. And then he said, um, verse 16, but the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. He repeats it again and again to Gideon. Listen, Gideon, I am with you. I want to use you, but I am with you. And finally, Gideon just asked this question, okay, well, if I've found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. I want to make sure you're really who you say you are. You're, as the angel of the Lord judges, describes, but also God is speaking to him, and he says to this person, I want to make sure you're really you. Can I go get a goat and prepare a meal for you? And the angel says, sure, go ahead, you can do that. But when he brings this meal to him of goat and this, this kind of a soup stew mixture, he says, Don't, I'm not going to eat it. I want you to pour it on the rock as an offering to God instead. Angel uses the rod, touches the rock. A flame erupts out of the rock, clearly supernatural. And then he vanishes right there. And God, Gideon is just stunned by what he's observed. And then here's Gideon's conclusion. When Gideon saw it, he was talking to the angel. It really was you. He said, alas, Lord God, Lord Jehovah, now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I just saw face to face. I'm going to die. The Lord said to him, peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon builds an altar there to worship God and names it the Lord is peace. So what is Gideon's takeaway? The Lord is peace. He gives peace and reassurance. Gideon could focus on the negatives it's too hard. I haven't seen you show up recently. I'm too small. It's, I'm too weak. It's impossible. Please pick somebody else. And the Lord says, listen, no, no, I pick you. And I'm sending you and I will go with you. A lot of times the Lord does that to his people. Think of Moses, very similar kind of conversation. And at the end, Gideon, and this isn't the last time, he'll often ask for tests. Can I t just make sure, just one more test to show me that you're really with me. This is the first of those. And here, as he offers the sacrifice of the Lord, the Lord clearly accepts it. Fire erupts right there as a sign of acceptance and a welcome offering to God. And he learns peace. Peace. Shalom. Stability. The confidence that God is with me. And I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to make excuses because God is right here. And I don't have to... Just think of the, the, the few times where it's really obvious he's here. He's always here. He will be with me. The Lord is peace, and I have peace even in the presence of God. I have nothing to fear. God has accepted me. What a wonderful set of thoughts for us to remind ourselves about. And so Gideon experiences the peace of God. I'll point us to one other account here. We're jogging, aren't we? We're, we hit like 8K by this point. Congratulations. You're still keeping your breath? That's great. We'll do one more quick story where God is talking to Samson's parents. We'll call them Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. Maybe a little hard to read on the screen, but it's a conversation back and forth again and again. This is from Judges chapter 13. And it's fascinating because it really closely matches what happens with Gideon. The account starts where the angel appears to, we'll call her Mrs. Manoah. And he, he, I'll, I'll read some of these verses here because these verses will sound familiar. Think ahead to the announcement to Mary that she will give birth to a son. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, this is chapter 13, verse 3, Behold, now your barren have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. 
Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive. It's like, she's like, can you repeat that again? I must have missed that. No, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And then he goes on to explain the mission of Samson as a Nazarite, one who's going to be used by God as, as a judge, as a leader in Israel. Astounding. Well, she's so excited, she's going to go tell her husband. He wasn't there to hear that first round. And so you see the verse quoted there, A man of God, she calls him a man of God, came to me. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. I wasn't thinking about that. that, about that. I was thinking about the fact that I was just told I'm going to have a son, but I haven't had any kids yet. I've really wanted to. So many thoughts in her mind. And then she shares the message. Now, she doesn't give all of it. She leaves out the part of Samson's mission, which is interesting because now Manoah is going to pray. Dear God, we need more details. <laughs> can you, like, how should we raise him? What's the, you're telling us what he can eat. Don't cut his hair. But what are the details? Like, what's his life calling? Now, his wife had been told that. Maybe she told him later. But in this, and regardless, he wants to know more. You ever been there? You gave me some of what you want, but I want all the details. Can you just fill in the blanks, please? Well, now there's a second set of conversations. The angel comes back to Mrs. Manoah. She gets her husband. He comes back, and I'm summarizing I'm going to skip down to verse 12. Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. And he repeats the same thing. Let her not eat these certain things. Let her avoid this. She is going to be devoted to the Lord so her son can be also. And Manoah responds just like Gideon did. Can can we just give an offering, a sacrifice, a thanksgiving, he asked questions of him, and then he asked this really interesting question. What is your name? I, didn't, I missed your name. And it's really interesting. In the Hebrew, he actually says, who is your name? So maybe Manoah's excited too. Who is your name? And he just can't even finish his sentence clearly. And so the angel answers and, and demonstrates the power of God. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? It's wonderful. It's impossible to understand. The verse shows up in Psalm 139. These thoughts that God knows everything about me is too wonderful for me. I can't absorb it. And so this angel tells Manoah, you're not going to understand. Don't ask. <laughs> but then Manoah gets this goat, and it's an offering, and he offers it on the rock to the Lord. And we're given this setting because God is about to perform wonders while Manoah watches. And it's really powerful because in this account especially, God is coming and they're watching. God is coming and they're watching what's going to happen next. And so we're watching with them. What's going to happen? And it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. They're stunned. This angel went, this is the power of God. Who is this man of God that she calls him? Now it's an angel. What's your name? And I can't even understand. And you go up with the sacrifice. And he has, doesn't appear to them again. Wouldn't that be annoying? Like, oh, can you do it again? Like, oh, I forget the details. Let me just appear to me again, please. And then Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we're going to die. We will surely die. Just like God warned Adam and Eve. Surely we will die. We've just seen God. 
We've had a glimpse into the supernatural realities. We were just in the presence of God. I asked him his name. How blasphemous of me. I asked too much. But his wife says, well, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering. How do they know God accepted the burnt offering? Well, he hasn't killed them. <laughs> That's reverse logic. But also, it's circular reasoning, but also the angel went up with there. It, clearly it's accepted. And he accepted the grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. He wouldn't kill us. That wouldn't match. He just showed us all these things. He must accept us. And so God is reassuring his cowardly people, not just because he gives them peace, but he's going to show us wonders, his power. He showed them an amazing thing. God himself was right there and he accepted them. And so perhaps those people were, were in need of God's reassurance, his comfort. God, I'm too small. No one notices me. Or God, I need more details. I don't understand what you want me to do. It, it just doesn't make sense. And in those moments, God, is going, God intervened in their lives. And they saw his peace and his power in a very personal and a very meaningful way. So we've we sprinted through these 10K. We've had a sense of these things. We'll finish up then. We'll, we'll do learning from judges. If you want to keep the P's going, you could say prospering from judges. And it didn't sit well, so we'll just stick with learning. We're going to cool down. We're going to rehydrate. We want to connect the dots with where we are right now. And we have a couple of just simple ideas I want to point out here. Um, first of all, we're going to stay unsatisfied apart from Christ. We read through the accounts of judges, it's like good and bad at the same time. Because the angel of the Lord shows up, but then he's gone. And he doesn't come back anymore. And then the human leaders proceed to fail. And so it's like, thank you, but now we need more. And I was trying to think the idea of darkness where you're trying to see where you're going and I found myself reflecting to, and, and flashing back to like a summer evening where it's dark outside and you see fireflies. Our kids were loving to chase the fireflies this summer. What does a firefly do? The ones that fly up in there, they glow. And the kids are like, oh, I missed it. Where'd he go? And it's getting darker out and I can't see and, it, and they're kind of grasping, looking randomly. Watch for the glow, watch for the glow. And in my mind, that's the book of Judges. God's there, he's there, he's there. Okay, okay. But they're not walking with God. They're not listening to his word. They're not really walking closely with him. They're not loyal to the covenant that he had given to them. And so the angel goes away and may show up later on, but they're left to themselves and they just don't read well. You may find yourself like that. I'm close to God. Yeah, we're dead, right? Uh, okay, I'll close. close. And then we're unstable. And we feel like we're walking in the dark all over again. We can have light. We can have truth. We can have stability. We must turn to Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord appeared and left. What has our Lord told us? I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, he tells his disciples, even to the end of the age. Does he show up for a little bit and then leave? Praise God, no! And through his spirit who is indwelling us all the time, we know the Lord is with us right now. And so he doesn't just show up and disappear again like a firefly. He's stable like a flashlight, always on, guaranteed to show up and be right there with us. He is the, 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 the stable and the permanent presence of God. 
And so we can praise the Lord that we have, we have his presence with us. And our Lord is in heaven, exalted, interceding for us, and, and his spirit is right here with us. So truly, he can keep that promise to us. Think back to Judges again. They, they're stuck with human leaders who fail all the time. They start strong, but they get a big head and they get corrupted and they ruin it all over again. And you fast forward 40 years, more oppression, and it's just a cycle, right? If only they had a human leader who was perfect. If only they had someone who would never get corrupted, who would always maintain perfect justice. If only they had one who truly had the needs of his people in his best interest. Hmm. And of course, you're saying we do. <laughs> we have a savior. We have one who presides as head of the, his church globally. Revelation tells us he walks among the candlesticks. He knows what's going on in each church and each believer's life. And he is a perfect king, a perfect leader. I mentioned earlier that at the end of Judges, we see two Levites who are from Bethlehem who completely fail in scandalous and horrific ways. But that's just setting us the stage, right? Judges is the dark room. What book follows Judges? After Joshua, then Judges, then Ruth. What happens in Ruth? Well, I meet a noble person from Bethlehem named Boaz who reflects the character of God in, in a good way. And at the end of the book of Ruth, which happens in the time of the Judges, we're told in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, I'm told about someone up who shows up from Bethlehem. David, a few generations removed from Ruth. And we know eventually you follow the line down to the son of David, Jesus Christ himself, who was born in Bethlehem, no coincidence, and who now rules as a perfect leader, a perfect king. And so we're kind of fast-forwarding now to 2021, we're a few thousand years removed from that account, but our Lord today is still a perfect leader. He still cares for his people. He does not abandon us or make poor decisions or give poor guidance. And since he's always with us and we always have his word with us, we've always got a flashlight. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He doesn't, you know... His word is not necessarily like a floodlight to you know, show us the entire room and all the what-ifs and possibilities. And 10 years from now, here's what you need to watch for. But he does give us enough light to keep walking. He gives us direction and he gives us protection. He will protect us as his people. We are his chosen people, a valuable possession, First Peter tells us. And so our God loves us dearly. He will never let us be harmed permanently like our brother Mookie reminded us about. And so we can find comfort in this. Perhaps we need conviction. Perhaps God needs to kind of say, you know what, <clears throat> you haven't been running very much recently. For me, right? Uh, you're not doing really well. You're kind of wavering back and forth. Should I run? Should I not run? I'm close to God. Now I'm not. He says, oh, come back to me, he says. He confronts us, but he reassures us as well. Let's close our eyes. We'll bow our heads. The Lord has spoken to you today through his word. And I want to give us each a chance to respond to him.